I'm going to be honest with you guys. Y'all better be praying for that computer because me, Tommy, and Roberto are liable to lay hands on that thing tomorrow morning and not in a good way. Um, Tommy, just another opportunity, brother. Just another opportunity. Guys, I want to welcome you here this morning. Um, most of you who were here last week know that things are going to be a little bit different this morning. It's not going to be your typical service. Today's service is a day of prayer. Today we are observing the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Persecution is not something that um, we fully understand. But today, through the testimonies of six individuals, um, we're hoping that you will have a little bit better understanding of it. Why are we doing this? The reason we're doing this is because these people who are being persecuted on a daily basis are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We may not know them, but the same blood that was shed for them on the cross is the same blood that unites us in the spirit of unity through Jesus Christ. We are commanded throughout the Bible many times to be in prayer for one another. And today, we're setting aside this day to pray for them. We're not the only one. Thousands upon thousands of churches all over the world are taking part in the International Day of Prayer. International Day of Prayer was started back um, in the 80s. And it started from an organization that many of you know, and many of you have heard of, called the Voice of the Martyrs. Richard and Sabina Wormwood spent a majority of their life trying to minister to the persecuted church. They spent a majority of their life trying to make people aware of the persecution that was going on around them because they seen that in our world, in our bubble here in the United States, we had no idea what was going on. So to give you a little bit of an introduction on who Sabrina and Richard Wormban are, I want to play a short intro clip for you. This is a clip that was supposed to have been played in Sunday school, and again, Satan got into the technology. But this is a short clip just to give you a little bit of insight into what they experienced during the uh, Nazi occupation. In 1940, Nazi forces invaded Richard and Sabina Wormbrand's home country, Romania. There were no safe spaces for Jews. And though Christian, Richard and Sabina were ethnic Jews. afraid for I am with you Genesis 26 do not be afraid of them Joshua 8 I am I'm kind of afraid to see IDs. 
all our lives remaining. Now we're Jews only. Christian, really. Dă-te la o parte, știu că ascunze vrei aici. Puteți să vă uitați, dar nu e niciun evreu aici. Richard and Sabina, like many Christians during World War II, had a choice. Lay low and hope the worst passed them by. Or get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ. All at great personal risk. coming then they're coming let's not think of them as enemies to be feared but rather as a mission like Sabina and Richard Wormbrand today's persecuted Christians living in hostile areas and restricted nations are bold witnesses for Christ choosing to give up their comfort and safety in this world in order to find a life that counts for eternity. The first request from our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters is, will you pray for me? As we pray for them to endure opposition in order to advance the gospel, may we be inspired by their example to pay any price necessary in obedience to Christ. Over the next few minutes, you're going to hear six testimonies. Six testimonies from six different individuals. Car, if you will, you can come on up. This is how it's going to lay out, guys. You will hear the testimonies. After the testimonies are given, the person who has given the testimony, and we've got uh, multiple people who will be speaking on behalf of these testimonies, We'll call all of us to a two-minute time of silent prayer, silent corporate prayer, 
for our persecuted brothers and sisters. The prayer emphasis will be listed above us. After that prayer emphasis, we will then move on to the next testimony. Today's service is different because you've got a part in it. It is our, it is our heart for Harmony Grove to be reaching out to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters so that they may know that we're praying for them. Think about that. All they're going through and the one thing they ask of us is not help stop the violence, not help them fight the persecutors, but pray for us. So today, we're going to do that. In the early years of the Nazi campaign, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand found themselves in a difficult situation. It wasn't too late to flee the country. Thousands were still able to buy their way out. The pastor and his wife struggled with the decision to go or stay. If we go to prison, we could be, it could be for years. What about our son? They did not want to leave their country or their church. The members looked to them for strength and support. And the couple felt guilty for being tempted to leave. A friend reminded them of an angel's words of Lot, Escape for thy life and look not behind thee. The pastor wondered, was that a message from God? Should we escape? Should we save our lives? But his wife read another verse. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But so whosoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Mark eight thirty-five. So the debate continued until one night at a secret house church meeting where 50 believers had gathered for an all-night vigil. Around midnight, a woman kneeling with the rest cried out, And you, the one who is thinking of leaving, remember that the good shepherd did not desert his flock. He stayed to the end. The dear woman knew nothing of the struggles that the worm brands had been facing. But to them, the message was clear. They stayed. They chose to serve their flock. And later, they suffered in prison. Like the worm brands, we must pray about our decisions. We must search the Bible. And sometimes we even have to listen to others' counsel. And like the worm brands, we must be committed to obeying God's answer before we receive it. That is the key. It is if we begin our prayer with a firm Yes, before we even ask what we should do.
At this time, I'm going to ask all of us to take two minutes to pray for our brothers and sisters to sense God's presence. For them to know that we are praying for them. And for them to experience God's comfort and peace. Father, we may never know the struggles, the decisions, and the faults that many of our brothers and sisters may face. We know that you do. It is our prayer this morning, Lord, that not only that they would sense your presence, but that they would know we're interceding on their behalf to our Lord, Master, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that through, our, through your presence in our prayers, that comfort and peace that goes beyond anything we can understand and anything they can understand would fill their hearts as they face the situations and struggles that they do on a daily basis. Be with our brothers. Be with our sisters. Let them know you're there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Afghanistan.
Eric and Aid Bergson. People came many miles seeking help and medicine from Eve Bankson and her husband, Eric. The Muir home in Kabu, Afghanistan, came a place of, of hope for thousands of Afghans, Muslims, and Christians alike. They told many, they told any who asked that they were ser they're serving Jesus Christ. However, their mission made them a target for the opposition. Eric and Eve took a brief furlough in 1980, but quickly returned to the war-torn nation that had become, become their home. How can you go back? Some ask. Don't you worry? Won't it be dangerous? Eric and, Eve, Eric and Eve didn't see danger. They, they saw opportunity. They didn't see potential killers. They saw potential Christians. I know only one great danger, said Eve. The only danger is not to be found in the center of God's will. They returned to Afghanistan along with their children, ages five and three. Soon after their return, they were attacked in their home, which also served as a meeting place for their, for their Christian converts. They were killed with switchblades, leaving their children orphaned. Yet, they had peace even in those final moments. Days before the murders, Eve's mother had a vision of Eric and Eve in heaven with angels putting golden crowns on their head. The vision gave her strength even through, even in her grief, she later learned their murders. And what we pray today, I ask Harmony Grove to pray to see God open doors to evangelism and be granted wisdom and work missionary, missionary work. I'm asking y'all to pray for two minutes.
Father, as I've read this testimony of Eric and Eve this morning, Lord, that I just ask and pray that you continue opening the doors for evangelism, for your work to be done, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you continue helping us for us to be obedient to what your word says, Lord, to get to share your gospel. Lord, we, I ask to continue praying for all the ones that are out doing the mission work now, Lord, that you be with them, that your will be done to each and every one of them. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We have come to share. We have come to share in Christ. If we hold firmly until the end, the confidence we had at first, Hebrews 3.14. This testimony comes from Sudan, which is a hostile nation located in northeastern Africa. Seated on logs under the shade of a tree, 230 Christian students were just beginning their English lesson when they heard the terrifying sounds overhead. A plane roared across the sky above the schoolyard, and within minutes the Islamic army had dropped five bombs from a large Russian-made bomber. Terrified and screaming, the children immediately started running. Two of the bombs landed in dry trenches around the village, and another failed to detonate. Unfortunately, the other two nail-studded bombs landed squarely among the frightened children. The explosion was tremendous, the damage unthinkable. By 9.15 a.m., the bomber was gone, and the horrible reality began to set in. Students wandered dazed around the schoolyard, crying and bleeding. Twelve of their classmates, ranging in ages from 9 to 16, had not survived the blast. Their beloved young teacher, Rhoda Ismail, also lay dead among the rubble. Another seven students lost their battle for survival in the days following the attack, and three had to have limbs amputated. The very next day, children showed up at the school as usual. The exhausted and despondent schoolmaster had told them to go home. I cannot tell you when or if we will resume class. A 10-year-old boy approached him and said, please, let us continue. We want to learn, and if it is God's will, then today we won't die. Please join me for a moment of silent prayer as a corporate body to pray for these students to remain joyful amid suffering and for perseverance.
Father, I can't imagine living in the chaos that these students live in on a daily basis, yet they do so joyfully, even in their suffering, and with a peace that is beyond understanding. Continue to fill them with your joy, that overwhelming joy. Your joy isn't like anything this world has to offer. It brings peace, trust, hope, and even an understanding that you are in control, even in the midst of suffering. I also pray for perseverance. Give them strength when they feel weak, love when they feel forsaken, courage when they are afraid, and give them continued comfort, hope, and peace in their suffering. It's all these things I ask in your name. Amen. During the early days of the Korean War, Pastor Ryan found himself in a very grave situation. You may destroy my body, but you will never destroy my soul. The brave Korean pastor responded to invaded and communist army of North Korea. I will not put your Marxist propaganda in my sermons. I know you have taken other pastors at night from their homes and tortured them for not obeying your orders. But I don't care for my own body. And my orders do not come for you. The officers grew angry with Pastor Hyman. Then he said with disgust, if you do not care for yourself, then think of your family. They will be killed also. Pastor Am hesitated. He expected to be hurt and had not considered his family. He knew the choice he must make. He calmly replied to the communist officer, I would rather have my wife and my babies die by your gun knowing that they and I stood faithful than to betray the Lord who saved us. Take him away, the officer commanded. Pastor Iam was kept in a dark prison cell for two years where he was not allowed to shave or even change clothes. He kept up his courage by reciting Bible verses that he had memorized when he was younger. Every day, from his small, isolated cell, others could hear the pastor reciting in love in a calm voice, John 13, 7, where Jesus promised, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. When the UN come in and started trying to write order, they come to Pastor Ryan thinking he was another communist. But I am not a communist, he cried. You must believe me. Pastor, I am pleaded with the United Nations. 
The North Korean communist soldiers had kept him locked up in an isolated prison cell for two years for preaching to others about Christ and for refusing to change his sermons. When the UN troops arrived, he felt certain he would be a free man again. Yet, they mistook him for another one of the communist army and threw him into another cell. Being a compassionate man and accepting the situation as God's will, Pastor Ryan witnessed to some of the very communist soldiers who locked him up. Many were converted to Christ. We keep hearing about this prison camp preacher said an American missionary to his friend visiting Korea as a chaplain. Since he knows the prisoners so well, I wonder if he could help us organize an evangelistic service, questioned the chaplain. God answered their prayers. The American missionaries were able to get permission to have access to Pastor Ryan. And the prison preacher faithfully helped and preached at prison camps all over South Korea. Thousands of communists accepted Christ. Within a year, 12,000 prisoners were rising each morning for a dawn prayer meeting. Pastor I never saw his family again. Yet because of his faithfulness and his unwavering trust, thousands of brothers in Christ come from those prisons. At this time, I'd like to ask us to take a moment of silent corporate prayer, asking God to continue to give our brothers and sisters unwavering trust.
Father. So many times all of us have questions in our life of why you have allowed certain things or certain situations to take place. And this morning, Lord, I'm encouraged by this pastor's unwavering trust. Even in the hardest situation that many of us can possibly imagine, I'm thankful that he stayed faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this for all of our brothers and sisters. I pray that when they face decisions that many of us really can't understand, that they would continue to hold strong to what you've told them. That you would always be with them and that you would never leave them. Father, I pray that their faith, their hope, and their trust in you, Lord, continues to stay founded on the gospel, knowing that this world is not the end. But that they would also, Lord, continue to preach the gospel to every man, woman, and child that they come in contact with. Give us this same unwavering trust, Lord, that regardless of what's going on in our life, that you are still God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Jeremiah 32, 19. This testimony comes from Zoe in Rome. Kill her, long live Diocletian, echoed in Zoe's ear as she stood in the middle of the Colosseum before the angry crowd. Zoe thought about why she was there and smiled. She remembered the day she visited her husband at the jail where he worked, guarding the Christians imprisoned for refusing to sacrifice to the gods. So we grew up hearing that Christians were misguided and followed a deadly superstition. They set fire to Rome during Emperor Nero's reign and got the punishment they deserved. They were nailed to crosses and thrown to lions. But that day in the prison, Zoe witnessed a Christian family praying together. Dear Lord, help our death bring glory to your name. We forgive those who imprisoned us. Zoe left the jail puzzled. Why did these Christians have so much peace, knowing that they would soon face the lions? Zoe began to secretly meet with his family and asked them about their faith. Soon she gave her heart to Jesus. Word quickly spread of Zoe's newfound faith and guards were sent to her home to give her a chance to recant and sacrifice to the god Mars. She refused. The guards put her in chains and hauled her 
to the very prison where her husband stood watch. When Zoe continued not to recant her faith, she was hanged, burned, and thrown into a river. Pray to forgive and, lo and love their persecutors and to be a light to others and mature in their own faith. We will now have a two-minute corporate prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you praying for Christians who are victims of persecution for their faith. We pray for these individuals, their families, their churches, and their countries where Christians are facing such oppression. We ask that you, Lord, help these victims to forgive and love their persecutors and to continue to be a light to others. We ask that every part of these Christians' lives be in your will and that they continue to learn and grow in their faith. Lord, give each of these individuals your peace and comfort each and every day and protect them with your blood. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. 1 John 1, 3. The testimony I'm going to read to you comes from right here in the United States. This is from Miss Ann Hutchison. Children, get down, Ann Hutchison screamed as she heard the arrow sharply strike her door. Then they heard the harrowing screams of the Indians who surrounded her home. More arrows seemed to come from everywhere, and she could hear footsteps near the window. I'll see you today, Lord, said Ann. Ann Hutchison was a woman of courage. By the time she was 23 years old, she had been imprisoned three times for speaking out about her Puritan beliefs. The Puritans wanted to hear about the Bible in their church services because few Christians in England had a Bible in the English language. Anne and her husband William had come to America in 1634 seeking religious freedom, but even in America, they had been met with persecution for holding religious meetings in their home. People who supported their ministry had been arrested and had even lost their right to vote. After 46 years, at 46 years old and pregnant with her 18th grandchild, or 18th child, Anne was convicted and imprisoned for four months. After being banished from the colony, her family and friends started a new town and home church in Rhode Island. With her pioneering spirit, Anne Hutchison helped to make the idea of freedom in worship, an American ideal. 
She and five children died at the hands of her Indian attackers. She met her Savior with courage and faith, just as she had lived her life. Freedom is never free. It always comes with a cost. And Jesus Christ was the first to pay the ultimate price for religious freedom, giving us access to God through his death on the cross. He was the only one who could pay the price for our liberty from sin. His death and resurrection established true liberty, and many believers have since sacrificed to uphold everyone's right to experience freedom in Christ. Believers like Anne have made the dream of religious freedom a reality in America. Our heritage of sacrifice is huge. What price are you willing to pay for the next generation to experience the religious freedom that we enjoy? Ask God to show you how to pass it on to the next generation. At this time, we will have two minutes of corporate prayer for them to be able to boldly share the gospel and to be rooted in God's word. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you today, lifting up our brothers and sisters in Christ, God, we have prayed so many prayers to you, Lord, and you've heard each and every one of them. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will carry them to every heart that needs them, Lord. I pray, God, now that you will continue to give every single person in the persecuted church, Father, whether abroad or here at home, the boldness to share your gospel, Lord. Give them the courage to step out and have that unwavering trust. Lord, give them a hunger to be rooted in your word so that whenever temptation comes, they will not waver. They will have already made the decision to stand firm so there will be no decision to be made. Satan will ha not have the opportunity to tempt them, but they will be rooted firmly in your word and in your spirit and in your grace. We bless you, Lord, even for the persecution, because your word tells us that you work all things for our good. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. One generation will commend your works to another, and they will tell your mighty acts. Psalm 145, 4.
I received the honor to help prepare today's service, and Scotty wanted me to briefly share how it came about. So um, earlier this year, I received a book from Voice of the Martyrs. I have received stuff from Voice of the Martyrs for years, and I got a book called Wild at Heart. And it is a book that contains eight testimonies from women in the underground church around the world. And as I began to read the book, my mind was blown at the unbelievable faith and the unwavering commitment that these women showed to walk with Jesus. These were women that not only were persecuted and put in jail, but they were beaten daily. They were taken advantage of by men. They were given to men in marital status that they didn't want to be given in. They were beaten daily. And as they were beaten, they continued to call out for the blood of Jesus over themselves and over their persecutors in the act while it was happening. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would have that kind of boldness if somebody was to try to beat me for my faith in Christ. And it stirred in my heart that we, and when I say we, I don't mean, I mean we, but I mean myself included. We don't have a clue what's happening around the world. As we come into our church every Sunday and we worship in freedom, we stand silently as people may be offended. And here are these people around the world who would rather die than stand silent and deny their Lord. Um, as you can tell by Anne's testimony, persecution has been in America even from the beginning. Even though they tried to escape it, it followed them here. And time has allowed that persecution to grow more and more and more into, over the last few years, our, even our country that was founded upon the word of God has now been labeled a post-Christian society. And so I wonder, and again, when I say we, myself included, do we understand what it means to commit to the Lord? Do we understand what it means to hold the line for our brothers and sisters who are being beaten for the cause of Christ every single day? Will we continue to walk around afraid to open our mouth and share the love of Jesus? Or will we become bold and courageous and speak up and share God's love and stand up for our brothers and sisters? So I want to read to you just a brief piece of scripture that the Lord put on my heart because there's so much evil in the world and the only, this is the only way we will overcome it. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought with and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out and the old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. So when I received my info packet about the International Day of Prayer, I knew that this was something that we needed to observe. Whether it just be in my house or with my family or however, I didn't know what that looked like. But then briefly after, we began to hear on the media about Christians who were being persecuted and killed in Afghanistan. And Scotty sent out a phone call, a call-in post that said, please pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in Afghanistan. And so I reached out to Scotty because I knew this was something that our church could do together, that we could come together as a corporate body and hold the line for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. So uh, thank you so much for the honor to help with today's service. What was crazy is um, Jessica had no idea that this was actually something that we've done before. Um, some of you who may be new here may have not been a part of that, but our, persecution brothers, our persecuted brothers and sisters have always been close to my heart because they are our brothers and sisters. And you know what? One day, one day we're going to get to meet them face to face. And in that time, it says that every nation and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you know what? I've often wondered, what will that sound like? What will that sound like for every nation and tongue to profess that Jesus is Lord? I'll be honest with you. I'm going to invite you to stand because I think it's going to sound a little bit something like this. If you will, stand.